0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And today we have a very special guest. This is Dr. Erica Lavella. And Dr. Lavella is a bariatric surgeon. And what that means is she works with people who have morbid obesity and she uh, helps them with surgery so that they can go back down to a more normal weight and actually reverse some of those horrible metabolic processes that occur when you have morbid obesity. But she's got a lot of other interesting things that we're going to talk about today and talk about what she's learned about pain, how she incorporates that with her practice, and uh, in ways that may be surprising, may, ways that may be going outside just the pain realm itself. So Dr. Lavella, or Erica, if you don't mind me calling you that, it is a joy to have you on the show today.
1: Great. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, great to be here.
0: Yeah. So um, bariatric surgery and pain, how did, how did you get here with? You know, I know I, uh, with, with surgery and pain?
1: yeah so um it all started. I was actually working out at the at the local gym with um, one of your uh previous students, um, Sharna Prasad, and I had overheard her. I was literally eavesdropping overheard her talk about the the pain um, pain science paradigm and the transdisciplinary collaborative projects that they were doing. And I just was really moved by her passion and her um, the way that she just, expressed herself talking about how she was transforming these people's lives um, by using these integrated approaches. Now, it might sound kind of odd, how does a bariatric surgeon get so excited about transdisciplinary language? Um, but in my field, we, um, we work in close uh, proximity and collaboration with both um, psychology disciplines as well as nutritional disciplines. And me and my, my partner here locally, my surgery partner, um, are both very invested in the well-being of our patients and, you know, even the spiritual health of our patients and what gets them out of bed in the morning. And so um, it was very easy for me to hear, hear Sharna talk about um, the um, kind of the psychological aspects, the emotional aspects, the cognitive aspects of pain, and I just Immediately saw the application to um, to my patient population in the realms of, of obesity because that's that really is the language that we talk to our patients about. You know, there's emotional eating, there is um, time sensitive pattern behavioral eating. Um, and it's not always easy for us to connect the dots about the roots of the reasons of why we're doing certain behaviors or why we're having certain emotions. Um, so it was really serendipitous. Um, that's how I got excited and in contact with uh, with Sharna and, and with your program. And then to take it a step further, um, you know, a lot of my patients do suffer from immobility issues and. Once their body weight reaches a certain size, um, you know they f- they feel it. They feel it in their joints. They feel it in their ankles. Plantar fasciitis, uh, knee osteoarthritis. Um, all of them tell me they have degenerative or slip disc disease. And um a lot of them develop those thought patterns and beliefs about their body being broken and then use that as a reason not to move any any further. And so listening to Sharna just talk that one day, that one day listening to her talk to other people, um, I just asked her how do I get involved?
0: Wow. Yeah. No so kind of the the long and short of it is just, you know, it's interesting because people hear bariatric surgeon and assume that you could just go in and you cut people, and, right? And there's right. so much more if you want to so do it well more. than yep. than that. It sounds like so. It's
1: so true. Um, yeah, we tell we tell our patients from the very beginning. There's always, um, you know, a huge educational component to it, in the very first meeting and first contact that they have before they even start the program, is just to hear the surgeons talk about. Kind of the in and outs of the program philosophy, and and you know it's like we we want to make you healthier. We want you to gain health. We want you to gain skills, gain mobility. You know we want you to come off medications for blood pressure and diabetes. Um, and you know how much weight you lose in that process is is really irrelevant as long as you feel those gains in your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always tell them, you know, it's stomach surgery. But it's not—it's not brain surgery. It's not emotional surgery. But all those things have have an impact on you. And so, if we can take the opportunity to learn about one and fix one, and then how that affects the other, then yeah, you're going to be in the best shape possible to make it really a lifelong um,
0: tool. So, um, I just kind of think from a pain perspective, because one of the the biggest problems with persistent pain is people get so on, or they get so focused and, and stuck on this this kind of biomechanical or or what i call pain pus that there's something it, it has to be something broken where the pain is oozing from and so there's a resistance sometimes to talk pain with people because you know they it, it's challenging and you're touching on some belief systems but do you ever find that in um in bariatrics as well where where people are just well i'm just how willing are they to start engaging with when you're talking about cognitive and emotional processes and things when it comes to this or do you find that it's a challenge or do you think that that or do they recognize it pretty pretty quickly that there's something beyond just just the weight or just the stomach stapling or you know however you know whatever the the gastric bypass type of thing is going to be beyond the physical there
1: yeah um i think it depends on the person depends on their age and stage of personal development. Um, It seems like talking about our psychology and our human development is becoming more and more prevalent among, you know, millennials and in kind of younger generations, like that's actually being talked about in our schools. Mm -hmm. Um, But for, you know, older generations, and then also differences between men and women. Um, But I think at the root of it, there is definitely like an aha connection for people they they realize that um you know especially something as simple as like eating um you know so many people can recognize that they emotionally eat or that they um have like love-hate relationships with food and some of that comes from you know previous dieting experiences or learned experiences and learned rhetoric from their parents or their grandparents. And then um, we also talk about, I also try to teach them, you know, like, hey, yes, we do have genetics. And so we do have certain genetic susceptibilities, but we have the power through epigenetics. And it's so hard to explain to lay people what epigenetics are, but, you know, we have the power to turn genes on or off with the way that we live in our brains. And I just try to, you know, always, come back to like our brains are very powerful tools in this because just with deep breathing and meditation, we can lower stress hormones in the body and we can actually change this cognitive processing um, to really kind of reshape the lens of what does this new experience mean to you in that moment in time. Um, no, I'm not a psychologist. I studied psychology in um, in undergraduate. So these, these concepts aren't like entirely foreign, like they've been in some of the language that I've been reading about for the last decade or so, but. But um, but it's it's really it's really neat um, to live or to practice in a community where, um, again, running into Sharna, hearing her talk about pain the same way that I talk about obesity. It was really, really, really neat to know that I'm surrounded by like minded individuals.
0: (laughs) Well, it's 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 great to have other people in the community. And I think that's that's what's interesting is when you start. You know, so much of it we get in this uni-dimensional kind of fixed focus kind of thing when it comes into the healthcare system, and and I guess what's frustrating to me sometimes is you, you know you look at things like the social determinants of health and how so much of our overall health is determined by behavioral and lifestyle choices, social social situations, your social dynamic, and yet we focus so much on this little teeny in miss little teeny piece of it this the you know the the medical part which is what they estimate access to medical care is like 11 percent of your overall health or something like that and it's um and, and so it's it's always a joy to hear someone who is bringing in all that other stuff into their practice and then applying it in a way such as you've been doing Yeah. Um, you know it's it's you know it's just kind of interesting to hear you know Is there a tipping point for your clients in the process where you, you know, where, 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 do you see the change for them? Is it, is it before surgery? Is it after surgery? Is it six weeks after the surgery or, or. It's
1: definitely before um, the people that get the, the strongest kind of buy-in in their, and I call it, I'm like, this is, you know, forget everything you knew about your body before you came to this program. Forget everything you knew about diet and lifestyle, like just because it was, it was all bad and none of it worked. I'm mm-hmm. um, like, you have to start fresh, blank, blank slate, come in here with an open mind. We don't teach you any tricks or hacks. It's just eating real food and listening to your body. And if listening to your body and eating real food isn't enough in movement, we, we you know, with every patient has to walk 30 minutes, be able to walk for 30 minutes before we'll take up to surgery. And so that is sometimes the barrier for some people as well, which is why I've taken awesome advantage of your uh, maps program
0: Yeah, but, um, MAPS program, but. you know <laughs> so
1: for most people, the light bulb really does go off in that preoperative process mm-hmm. because we for some some insurances it's you know six months kind of mandatory. some insurances require six minimum visits with the dietitian um, but I I mean I talk about, you know, psychology from the level of counseling from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if, you know, behave these, if these, um, dietary changes and new movement and you moving every day, isn't enough to kind of get you there, then like, why not take the opportunity to learn why? Yeah. And I always, I always let them know, like your psychology, our psychologist is phenomenal, you know, PhD, eating behavior, specialty trained. I mean, she's worked with all of our patients and she's just so well-rounded. She makes everybody feel really comfortable I'm like, she will help you learn why. And so, yeah, for the most part, it clicks clicks well before surgery. And then if it doesn't click by then, um, the whole picture doesn't formally really click. And, you know, old habits can kind of dredge back up. And the other thing we talk about, too, is just nobody's perfect. Like, mm-hmm. this is a practice, you know, just like moving in your body to get stronger for. You know, I mean, maybe my obese patients aren't really trying to do some sort of athletic competition. But, you know, I just tell them, like, you are you are practicing and and um, and and nobody's perfect. Mm
0: -hmm. That's uh, it's interesting how you kind of preframe that up front, though, where you actually tell them just forget everything that you knew before you walk in the store. And um, I really like that. I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering if that could be done in a pain setting because there's. There are so many misconceptions and assumptions about pain that are untrue that it really interferes. And uh, I like how you, you just sort of back toward that by just saying, we're just going to start from the beginning and let's yeah. just rebuild It didn't that. work. Yeah. <laughs> it uh,
1: hasn't served you in any way.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. It's just, you know, rather than dance around it, like happens so much time is just say it straight out and just, hey, let's forget everything. Let's start with a blank slate and start over again. I, I, I think that's, that's so powerful and it just provides people opportunity because if they choose not to, then they have chosen not to and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But then you're not, you know, then it just improves the relationship, I think. So. Interesting. So, so were you always this way or did you, or, or was there something that, I you said you did your, your undergrad in psychology and things. So you're always kind of thinking like this, is this, or was there a moment in your life that kind of made you think that there was something more than, you know, just cutting things open? Yeah.
1: Um, I think I, well, I mean, yeah, so you heard a little bit of my story, but I had, um, really, so undergraduate was nutrition and, and psychology for me. And um, I had wanted to go the preventative medicine route, um, not really knowing anything about medicine or knowing anyone in medicine. Um, but I was just a firm believer in, wow, wow, the healing power of, of like you know, fruits and vegetables is significant. Um, antioxidants, seeing how they make energy in the body, seeing how they detoxify the body, just seeing, I mean, literally biochemistry and organic chemistry was all right there. This is how you prevent disease. Um, and this is how you heal disease, you know? So even, even take it a step further, even if you are sick, like you can get well. Um, so then I went into medical school and I just didn't get any more of that training. Like Mm -hmm. no more of those viewpoints were really fed to me and not that I was impressionable, um, necessarily, but I also just kind of saw the writing on the wall and didn't necessarily want to do, um, I just didn't really like pharmacology. I didn't, I didn't like the, the pharmacology approach is like the antithesis mm. of like the nutrition approach. Like they're just so polarizing. Um, and so anyway, I found surgery. And when I found <laughs> surgery, it just kind of fit this like inherent need that I had inside me, which was um, more process-based. And not that like surgery is more natural than pharmacology, but like in the realm of like my biochemically geared brain, um, it actually is because we can restore natural processes or just like alter them. um, And we don't really just like pour drugs onto it. Now, that being said, as a surgeon, um, the only meds I really prescribe are like antibiotics and narcotics, <laughs> um, and so you know being familiar with pain and being familiar with the side effects that narcotics and um, and NSAIDs have on the gut and on gut function um, also became an interest of mine. Um, when I was in medical school, I had gone through my own little health journey with, um, I had an intestinal parasite Mm -hmm. and, um, it kind of messed with some of my personal psychology and and resiliency. And, um, when I found out I had the parasite and got the parasite treated, it was like everything kind of started clicking and coming back. And then, um, through functional medicine, I don't know if you know, functional Mm -hmm. medicine very well or not, but, um, it was kind of that approach to my personal health that really took me down this path of, um, just, you know, the fundamentals of functional medicine is just to optimize inherent function of the body. Um, And with the uh, understanding of the biochemistry and the gut physiology, the very parasite that I had, had been stealing amino acids from my digestive system. And then I wasn't making any serotonin. Mm. And when you're not making any serotonin, you aren't making melatonin. Um, Just like the presentation that I gave Uh, A couple weeks ago, kind of entailed. So, I know that story very well of how if we're not given the right tools internally, then we're not going to be able to really heal and rebound and have these things click for us. So, I have a lot of empathy and compassion for everybody um, that I meet who's ever struggled with either a digestive issue or just general anxiety and depression issues and insomnia issues. I always think oh, uh, it's got to be coming from, you know, f- or from the gut or not that it's all coming from the gut, but that if we could optimize that, then you could give a person a better opportunity to heal those things.
0: Well, it's it's definitely a significant contributor and people don't really think about it. And that's, that's, you know, thinking about the gut brain and, and the gut brain axis is not something that people are typically chatting on. And, um, but you know, I, I like that where you're sort of looking at, at everything. And I also like the other part where you're, you were mentioning about the pharmaceutical part. And it's not like that pharmaceuticals are, are the complete and utter enemy, or they shouldn't right. be. They're not. There's a reason for them, right? You, you, if you're <laughs> antibiotics, if you, if you have a wound in, in uh, uh, analgesics when you have physical trauma and things like that, makes sense. And some of the other ones do. It's just there is such an over reliance upon them for chronic conditions where like, I, you know, I love what you're talking about is how can we just get the body restored back to optimal functioning or as optimal as it can be. Um, and, and part of that, I, you know, it's interesting. Cause I like how you said, as a surgeon, the only thing I prescribe is, is antibiotics and, and <laughs> opioids. Um, but you, and, and there was a, the talk that you gave a couple weeks ago where, where you briefly had talked about, you know, what opioids do on the gut. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, I, 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 I'm i always convinced that if people knew all the things that opioids did, I mean, and then there would be sig- much less resistance to the discussion of maybe it would be, you know, trying to taper and getting off these medications may actually help you. But can you talk about that a little bit where, uh, you know, what about opioids on and your gut?
1: Absolutely. So um, the first thing that they do is they... Um, through the uh, opioid, I think it's the mu receptor, but they they just stop your um, myoenteric like muscular. They call it the MM MMC, the uh, myomotor complex. So that controls peristalsis in your bowels, and so just taking an opioid significantly slows down the rate in which you can evacuate your bowels. Um, When this happens, then the bacteria, both in the colon and in the small bowel, get stagnant. And when anything in the body gets stagnant, just like how you can imagine blood clots form, um, with DVTs, you have stasis, then, um, and you have, maybe have some trauma to the blood vessel, et cetera, but that's, that's how you get a blood clot to form. Well, the bacteria kind of start to coagulate and hang around. And without that forward flow, the pH actually changes. Um, and so it's not like a overt obstruction, but it basically acts like an obstruction. And when you have, um, the pH change, then you have overgrowth of certain bacteria that wouldn't otherwise be growing there. And this is probably the um, lesser known fact about opioids, but I've participated and listened um, to a lot of um, lectures on on this topic, but um, it's believed that just two weeks of opiate use is enough to cause small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And when you have overgrowth of, again, colonic bacteria are now growing in the small intestine, they're not native to that part of the body, but your body has been tricked to thinking that, um, your upper bowel is now your lower bowel based on the stagnation of stool and how it sits there. Um, and the pH changes when that occurs, some of those bacteria grow in such excess that they actually start to kill off neighbors. Mm -hmm. And when the balance is off, um, And then, if you combine that with a um, damaged, I don't like the word damaged, but a weakened uh, mucosal lining, then you're exposing your intestinal um, villi. So they're normally covered by mucosa. I was explaining mucosa to my patients is like it's like the soft stuff on the inside of your cheek, you know, that lines your entire intestine and it is kind of mucousy, saliva y like. And then when, you know, we take NSAIDs, that's another, uh, you know, common pain uh, reliever, or we have uh, chronic narcotics on board, the bacteria can grow in such a way that, become, that release toxins. And when they release toxins, those toxins can then get directly into the bloodstream. And there's a lot of functional medicine um, providers, literature, language, um, and there's even old bariatric literature to suggest after some of our older operations with really long ru limbs, um, that we cause small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, quite commonly and that those, um, toxins cause a lot of joint arthritis, polyarthritis, um, and, and they call it, um, it's not septic arthritis because it's not like it's a septic joint, but it's, um, it's, a uh, uh, lipopolysaccharide induced, um, by these bacteria, this, uh, like polyarthritis. So I, um, I definitely forewarn everybody that I see and I, I see, you know, probably a good handful or two every year of, um, of, of people that are just on tons of chronic opioids. Um, Yeah.
0: Uh, so it's it's more than just constipation. <laughs> you
1: know, that's way more than constipation. Yeah. <laughs> way more than constipation. I mean, it goes deep. You know. Yeah. It's a um, it's a cellular process.
0: Well, and, and and I'm I'm kind of being a little bit facetious there, but it's it's like the, we we toss off these side effects like they're nothing, but when you start understanding the importance of your gut and that 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 gut biome into your overall health again, you're you know, when, when you're doing anything that can alter that in significant fashion and yet we don't even appreciate it. And then we wonder why it's
1: just, they don't get better. <laughs> yeah, it's just,
0: it's just, it, yeah. it's just unbelievable to me. And, and, uh, and so we just, well, you just get constipation. Well, what, do, okay. what What is that going to mean? Is it a day of constipation, three weeks of constipation? What are there going to be yeah. effects of that? Because we know, you know, there's a whole, there's whole civilizations living down there. And uh, you don't want some evil empire of bacteria to start doing this process, marching up the bowel, taking over all the good guys. So, uh, just just drives me a little bit crazy. But
1: when our body only eliminates, you know, byproducts of everyday cellular metabolism in you know three ways: we breathe it off, we pee it off, we poop it off. You know, so like don't don't be obstructing one of your body's best defense mechanisms <laughs> off of healing itself and <laughs> keeping itself clean.
0: It's like, what, just imagine plugging all the toilets in your house. That's right. Just and, then and then you have the door and then you have the door in the sink and that's it. You I love live.
1: body and um, architectural analogies. Mm-hmm. I think they're spot on.
0: <laughs> well, it's just, it, and another part is that just how resilient our bodies can be if we just step out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't know. That's it's interesting stuff, but we kind of we kind of got a little bit off topic here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So have you have you experienced any practice change? Um, you know, from when, when you started to now, or have you been pretty consistent in seeing this more? You know, recognizing all these ex, all these other contributors outside of just the you know just the the stomach itself. Um, was there any moment in time in your own practice that you've seen significant change, or have you been this way since the beginning? And that either I mean, this is obviously not a leading question or anything. I don't know the answer to this, so either way is fine. I'm just kind of curious.
1: Yeah, no. Um, I mean, ever since taking your course, your your pain course, um, and then yeah, I mean, I, I draw the the triangle quite regularly. It does help them to have that graphic, and I think you know. Instead of, you know, the fire pain being in the middle. I mean, we've, we've used this to even just describe, you know, kind of the origins of eating disorders with, um, with people. Um, so I definitely have found a lot of utilization off of using the triangle. Um, if I have time in a consultation, I'll bring up maybe other ways to think about their pain, um, but it doesn't always fit in with my particular consult time, but I do have an hour with, with my patients, which is very beautiful and, and somewhat rare in, in healthcare. And um, I've had three patients now complete the MAPS program completely. I've had several others um, who are enrolled right now. And one of our, our ladies, she she at one point was bedridden with um, fibromyalgia and then just, you know, had an epiphany one day, like, this is no way to live. I need to figure it out. And through our program and the MAPS program, she is completely off all of her opioids and she just feels like she has a second lease on life. And um, she's like, you know, even though my pain isn't necessarily like gone, she's like, I just have a much better relationship with my pain. Like, and now it is a relationship. Like I, I recognize when my body is really trying to protect me and when maybe an emotion or a thought process that I have kind of around it is maybe making it worse. And so like for her, it was like all about this, like um, just perspective shift. And um, so that was really neat and refreshing, but I, I would say hands down, I found the actual utility of drawing out the triangle and then just talking to my patients about it has been the most helpful. And uh, just as an aside, even my partner, who listened to um, Brent Godek talk for 20 minutes at a journal <laughs> club one night about um, upcoming changes to just narcotic recommendations, Brent Godek did did 20 minutes on um, on the pain triangle, one slide on the pain triangle, and um, and my my surgery partner saw it, and he uses it like at least once or twice a week on our patients as well. And every time he does, he always comes in the t- finds me and he's like pain triangle did it again. And he's just <laughs> like so proud of himself because um, because he actually felt like he had a meaningful um, conversation with the patient that helped
0: the patient. That's, that's super cool. And I, I did not, that, that was, I did, that was obviously, I really wasn't trying to lead into it, even though it no, no, sounded no, no, like I, know, I was I leading into <laughs> it, but, but, but it's uh, true. It's so true. No, that's, and that's great to hear. And, and I, um, you know, as a side note, that's what is. it's, it's kind of interesting is because you start thinking that I call triangular thinking and it, it, it just works all over the place. And you can it apply does. it to so many different areas. And, uh, you know, we, uh, oh, and the other thing is the MAPS program for, for the listeners out there. That's mo- mind, uh, Movement, Mindfulness, and Pain Science. And that's a program that's through one of our regional PT uh, clinics. Um, that, uh, one of the heads of that is Sharna Prasad and uh, Veronica Morrissey. So that's, that's not my program, but um, we're, we're both familiar with the people who are working in there and do some fantastic things. So just to kind of put that out there as well, but it's just, it, it is interesting how, how, how you can start taking some of this information and applying it in new and different ways and, uh, and see people get better. I mean, isn't that what we yeah. all went into medical into healthcare to do? Exactly. So, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It has now been oh, almost a half an hour here. So is there any last, any what would be your one piece of advice out there to our listener when it comes to either weight or pain or, or health or nutrition or gut health? What, what, what do you think? What's your one <laughs> key takeaway that you want to have out of there? Um,
1: I just think we have to not be afraid to challenge the status quo and ask hard questions. And if it's not working, then let it go.
0: I think that's a great way to end it. And I think that's applicable to whether you're a clinician or, or a client or a, or a community member out there. So anyway, well, Dr. Lavella, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. And everybody else out there stay well.